You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. We'll be reading from Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, we have uh, Redemption Hill kids for ages 2 to 5 and grades 4 to 5. And then anyone hanging out or any kids hanging out, sermon notes and activity bags. You may be seated. Thank you to those who are serving in Redemption Hill Kids. We were praying earlier. We're just thankful to God that we get to gather together. It's uh, truly like a privilege that we get to do this. We come and we give praise to our great God. So it's just good to see you all. I know it's the Christmas season and it can be busy, but if there's been a prayer that I've had over the Advent season, this Christmas season, is that when you come here on Sunday morning from 10 to you know, 11.30 for those who come early to help set up and prepare for, for church, that you're at peace. Now, this would be a place you can kind of like put aside all the to-do list for a moment because it exists. <laughs> this would be a time where you can just sit and just center your heart, write your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I hope you can do that this morning, regardless of what your week was like and <laughs> what you brought in, you know, uh, this morning. Let's focus on the Lord 
I want your soul to be at rest as we gather as a church. If myself, Pastor Rob, and Ryan are not leading you to that end, then if I could be frank, we're not leading you effectively. Our desire is to be faithful with the tasks that God has put in front of us and then trust the Holy Spirit is just at work in your life. We're so tempted like, that we act like the Holy Spirit. <laughs> no, Holy Spirit's way more effective than I could ever be. <laughs> um, I trust the Spirit's at work this morning. So, um, If you've been tracking with me the last few weeks, I've, you know I've been taking a different path to show you the glories of Jesus Christ. The sermon series is called Carols of Christmas, and I've been using a Christmas hymn as kind of the back door into looking at Holy Scripture. Like if you want to directly look at Holy Scripture, you go to the front door, but kind of go to the back door using these carols and showing you what upholds these carols. It's a different approach. As I said the previous two weeks, it's not an approach I'm comfortable with and not even sure I would replicate it. Um, But I've personally learned a lot. But beyond learning, I hope a sermon series of this kind increases your appreciation for what you're singing. And what you are singing are truths about God. We do not use theologically neutral songs at Redemption Hill Church. And we obviously don't want to sing lies. I mean, but just for a moment, just soapbox. There was a time, the Lord saved me in my early 20s, went to this church, I'll leave it nameless, and we sang the song Oceans by, I'll leave the name, group of the, um, you know, whatever. And it's like, you, you, you couldn't find me a more theologically neutral song than that. That told me nothing about God. It might be a nice song, fine. Not a worship song at all. And I'm so grateful for, for Rob and Ryan as they've, put in front of you carols, songs that are true, that have some depth, that have meaning, that take our weary hearts and focuses it on Christ. I mean, we live in a world filled with lies, and there is something powerful about combating lies by worshiping God in song with truth. Perhaps a reason why I love the Christmas season is the hyper-focus on the truth about God and specifically on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. One final comment before I pray. Unlike the last two carols from the previous two weeks, today's carol does not have a dominant passage that upholds the song. The two best fits, maybe, is probably Luke 2, chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. But we spent time looking at Luke 2 last Sunday. So for the public reading of Scripture, I simply wanted another part of the Christmas story read, hence the story about the wise men. I'll make mention of them in my sermon, but it's not going to be the dominant theme by any means. Um, If you were excited when John read uh, Matthew 2, I have good news for you. I actually preached that message in 2021 during Advent. So if you're like, I want to know the story about the wise men, go to the church website. You'll find it right there. Uh, Because the internet is forever, uh, it's there. But here's the truth. This passage, this carol, is saturated with several passages from God's Word, and I'm going to show you that this morning. We sing truth here at Redemption Hill.
Let me pray. I need God's help, and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, um, we come before you this morning. Indeed, we come to worship you, to adore you. As we sing from this precious carol, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. We come as joyful Christians, as happy warriors in this weary world. And we thank you for all the good work you have done and all the good work you continue to do. Now, as I speak this morning, I pray and I trust that the Spirit is indeed at work in the hearts and minds of these precious friends that are in front of me. Help me to be faithful to the truth that you've already spoken in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For a couple of years, we have been singing two songs with similar titles. We have been singing, Come All You Unfaithful and Come All Ye Faithful. Like at first blush, you, you might be asking, um, isn't this like a contradiction? Like, am I faithful or am I unfaithful? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Both are great songs, and, and each song is addressing a different aspect of the Christian faith. Come all you unfaithful addresses our constant dependence upon God. It expresses what we need from God. And there is much that we need from God. Here's, here are some lyrics from Come All You Unfaithful. O come, all you unfaithful, come, weak and unstable, come, know that you're not alone. O come, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying, come, see what your God has done. Come all you unfaithful hits the right nerve when we contemplate our unworthiness before God. It expresses our unworthiness while at the same time telling us the goodness of God to send His Son into the world for the unworthy. I can move this. There you go. So it's a great song, right? Great song. Fantastic song. We are unworthy, and God is good. That's all straight gospel heat. Sean Powers is a wretched sinner in need of a Savior. I'm grateful that Sovereign Grace Music came out with this song in 2020. And I love that that's part of our repertoire here at Redemption Hill Church. Come all ye faithful strikes a different note. Come all ye faithful is a triumphant anthem. It's a creedal declaration that leads followers of Jesus Christ to adoration. We say that again. Come all ye faithful is a triumphal anthem, a creedal declaration that leads followers of Jesus Christ to adoration. Faithful followers of Jesus Christ praise God, not because of anything within themselves, but because of who God is. As the carol suggests, this is a song about triumph because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Here's the first verse, which is familiar to so many. Come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. 
Come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. You know those lyrics. There are so many reasons to love this carol, but one that immediately stands out is this triumphant tone, right? This, this accent of triumph. Christians are joyful and triumphant because of King Jesus. The last line of the first verse is brilliant. Jesus is a king over the angels. You saw that in the book of Hebrews way back in the day when we were first going through Hebrews. Yes, for a while Jesus was made lower than the angels. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But he is ultimately king over the angels. We sing to Jesus because he is different than you and me in a very real sense. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. But what I want you to see is that the thread that holds this carol together is the triumphant tone and the triumphant reality of Christians because of Christ. The Apostle Paul said it well in his first letter to the Corinthian church. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote that to the church at Corinth. And if the church at Corinth could not pick up what the Apostle Paul was putting down, he wrote a second letter to them. Actually, probably wrote four total at least. But in our Holy Scriptures, there's a second letter, and he says this. Just in case you didn't know, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. But it's not just the Apostle Paul who has a posture of victory and triumph. Our Lord Jesus is recorded in the Gospel of John saying, in the world you will have tribulation. We, we read this in Matthew 5 as well. You will have tribulation, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. He's overcome the world. Too often we take a posture of defeat as Christians. We've got to knock it off. Do we serve a king who rose from the dead or not? Do we serve a king who is currently seated at the right hand of the Father or not? If the answer is yes, then we have every reason to know that the victory has been won. We are triumphant because of Christ. So that is the thread I want you to hold on to as we look at the particulars, as the kids say, the deets of this hymn. Notice how you get kind of pulled in the old stuff with the new stuff. Hold on to that thread. I want us to sing, sing this song when I'm done in a way that is joyful and triumphant. First, well next, I want to say something about the importance of tradition, and I'll tell you a bit about the history of this carol. I'm making this note of tradition because every carol up to this point, I've brought in the tradition for good reason. Um, many of the carols we sing actually have a rich history. The reason why I've been picking old carols up to this point is because I want you to see that we are actually deeply connected to history and tradition. Like, I'm going to level with you for a moment. I grew up Catholic, right, as many of you know, and we focused a lot on history and tradition. Now, here's the Catholic flaw when we talk about history and tradition. They place tradition in the magisterium, think like the Pope, um, on the same authoritative level as God's Word. 
big reaction during the Reformation was no. Martin Luther's like, no, we have God's word. That is our highest authority. I don't have time to expose and explain the depths of this flaw, but it's certainly there. Uh, What may seem odd, I actually also take umbrage with the Protestant reaction to the Catholics. In some sectors of Protestantism, especially, honestly, Baptists, there have been a reaction to completely reject tradition because of the Catholics. It's like, whatever they're doing, let's just do the opposite. (laughs) It's like, what? No, stop it. I think a better way forward is to appreciate and be thankful for those who have gone before, those who have gone before and spoke truths through sermons, those who have gone before us to evangelize the world, to be thankful for those who wrote great hymns that speak truth. Be thankful for them. And most frankly, all these ancient carols were created by, wait for it, Catholics. I don't need to believe in Catholicism in order to appreciate the tradition connected to this carol. And I'm not making some Catholic apologist. I'm not a Catholic apologist by any means. I can tell you every reason why I left the Catholic Church, but I think it's important to see the history and tradition and the good that comes out of it and be thankful for that. I think it's very important for us, Redemption Hill Church, to see itself a part of a greater story that God is weaving throughout time and history. And for the record, I'm not against new Christian songs or repurposing old hymns and carols. I'm not against that. What I am against is innovative truth. (laughs) I'm cautious about new ideas about God. I'm cautious because the truths we sing have not changed. They are constant. Truth does not change because of the objective reality of God's Word. God Himself is unchangeable. Do you want to sing, O come all ye faithful, in a different note? Great, have at it. Do you want to modernize it? Sure, many have. Knock yourself out. But let's maintain the truth and respect the tradition that has carried the truth along. Okay, that was my little moment to explain why we've been looking at tradition and history through these hymns. Here are a few more details about the specific history of this hymn. This hymn was written by a man named John Francis Wade. He's now generally recognized as both author and composer of this hymn. Uh, it's originally called, I'm going to butcher this, Adeste Fideles. It's Latin, and it's the original title of the song. Adeste, and my daughters can correct me, they're taking Latin. Adeste Fideles means all ye faithful. It was originally written in Latin in four stanzas. Like, fun fact, I was like reading my, my sermon out loud um, just in the, you know, in the living room, and all of a sudden, my daughter pipes up. She's like, hey, I memorized that song in Latin. And then I said, hey, how do you pronounce these words? <laughs> uh, the earliest manuscript signed by Wade, the author, is dated to 1743. By the early 19th century, however, four additional stanzas had been added by other writers. A Roman Catholic, Wade moved from England to France because of um, religious discrimination During this time, there was like constant fighting between the Catholics and the Protestants, and the Protestants at this time in England kind of had the upper hand, and so Wade and many other Catholics left. Many went to France. In France, Wade would work with monks and become a, he was a calligrapher and a musician. Kind of fun to learn about the author. One of Wade's jobs was to make copies of hymns so that they may be maintained for the next generation. During his time in France, Wade would write Adeste Fideles, and years later created the music. 
Like many old hymns, they go through various iterations. O Come All Ye Faithful made its way into the church in the 19th century, but it became popular in 1905 when the American vocal group, never heard of, the, heard of them, apparently they were a big deal, 1905, the Peerless Quartet, anyone? No? Yeah, I don't know. But they recorded and released this album. This is like right when the radio was invented, but not, a, not everyone had it. So thousands of copies of this carol were, were sold. In 1915, the world's most famous Irish tenors. Anyone know this one? John McCormick? Nope. Recorded this hymn, and as a result, all... O Come All Ye Faithful hit number two on the national playlist, making it the only Christmas carol to make its way onto a secular, like, top ten, you know, thing. Yeah. Eventually, the ever-popular Bing Crosby cuts a Christmas album called White Christmas in 1945. It is at this time when O Come All Ye Faithful becomes unofficially adopted as, like, the top Christmas carol in America. Arguably, right? A couple weeks ago, we learned that O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is probably the oldest hymn that we sing today. Last week, we saw, I told you that Hark the Herald Angel Sing was written by a goat, Charles Wesley, and then was picked up by another goat who wasn't happy that he picked it up and rearranged a few things, George Whitfield. Their names are a big deal in church history for different reasons. And now, O Come, All Ye Faithful might be the most popular hymn, might be the most popular carol that we sing. For fun, I googled the following, O Come All Ye Faithful Artists, right, music, musicians, and here are a smattering of artists who have published this song. Alan Jackson, like country, that's your jam. Uh, Nate King Cole, George, Nat King Cole, thank you. For some reason, Spellcheck gave me Nate. Uh, George Strait, Josh Groban, Carrie Underwood, Underwood, Celine Dion, Elvis Presley, and my personal favorite, Art Garfunkel. I had to look for that. I mean, I'm, I found that. It's not on the iTunes, but I ran into that. It was really good. I mean, of course, there are many uh, renditions, including iterations from Christian artists. And by the way, if a non-Christian artist wants to make a buck to sing the gospel, like, go for it. <laughs> go ahead and sing great theology, which is a great segue into my outline for the rest of this message. O come, all ye faithful, has great theology. And it also talks about heavenly citizenship and all of this leads us to adoration. So those are kind of like my three main headings. I'm going to show you the text of Scripture that uphold this particular carol. Let's look at the solid, solid theology of this hymn. Here's the second verse, which, honestly, this doesn't end up in a lot of versions you hear on the radio. God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God begotten, not created. Listen, I love the entire hymn. Every word is packed with meaning. But verse 2 is the theological meat of this hymn. Verse 2 is meant to remove any doubt about the one who was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. Verse 2 captures what was written down in the 4th century at the Council of Nicaea. See how I mean like we're connected to tradition and history? The Nicene Creed, which was later updated in the 5th century, is our North Star when attempting to use words to describe the one who is the Son of God and Son of Man. The question we are answering when we sing verse 2 is, what does it mean for God to take on flesh? The answer to this question is essential for the Christian faith. 
I will, here, so here's the first sentence of the Nicene Creed for context, but then look at the second sentence. It's exactly what we sing. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten, word came up in the hymn, only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father, before all worlds, is that light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. When you sing verse 2, here is what you are affirming. You sing that Jesus is God. You sing that the word of God did not despise coming into the world. As a matter of fact, Jesus did not despise the cross. Meaning, he did not look down on the mission that, was, that, was set, that he was set out to accomplish. Do you want to know what Jesus did despise? He despised the shame that crushes a person. Like a boulder being placed on the back. We're going to get into this passage in 2024. But listen to what Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. The joy of enduring the cross. And listen, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of God humbled himself, Philippians 2.8, taking on the likeness of man. He was born of a, of a virgin, and because he was obedient, he endured the cross. And here is the deal. Verse 2 of O Come All Ye Faithful tells us more about God's redemptive plan through Jesus Christ. The word is begotten, not made. Meaning, the second person of the Trinity is eternal. All of this points to the unique nature of Christ, the promised Messiah, the one who was going to save the people of God because of their sin and rebellion, had to be very God and very man. No one else could accomplish the task that Christ did. There was no plan B for your redemption. You can't save yourself, and no other prophet or religious leader can save the damned. The Messiah had to be fully man. Christ had to take on everything of man except sin in order to redeem man. The Messiah had to be very God because no one else could be fully obedient and there is no greater sacrifice for sin than the God-man. Only Jesus Christ, born into the world to save the world, could appease the wrath of God. Now, I mean, I say all that, like, do you see the importance of theology? I, I mean, I hope you do. And why it's important to sing true things about God. Theology is studying God, saying things about God. I mean, even like, do you see how the two natures of Jesus Christ is connected to his birth, crucifixion, and resurrection? Fully God, fully man, very God, very man. I mean, I mean listen, Redemption Hill is not the greatest thing since sliced bread. I know that. It's not like um, we invented the wheel or cured cancer. We, we do have holes and gaps as a church, for sure. There are things we could do better. We are an imperfect church worshiping a perfect Savior. But at the very least, I hope and think, you're receiving, as best we can as pastors, an accurate understanding of God and his revealed plan and purpose for his creation. 
And this is done with good theology that is grounded in the Word of God, in good songs that we sing that is grounded in the Word of God. Yes, there are differences of opinion and some theological points. We can argue over eschatology all day. That's fine. But when Scripture is clear, we want to make it clear as well. And when we run into hard and tricky passages, we don't run away and give up on it. Nope. We lean in, ask good questions, pray the Lord. We talk to one another, knowing that whatever is written in God's Word is for us to receive. On the one hand, we don't need to overcomplicate theology, but we never must undervalue it. Here's a great, great quote from Charles Spurgeon. He strikes a great balance between the ivory tower intellectualism and the complete disregarding of theology. Commenting on, commenting on the story of the Pharisees and the tax collector, also called the publican, Spurgeon says this from Luke 18. The publican, or the tax collector, stood afar off and beat his breast and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And here's Spurgeon's comment. He says, I tell you, that man had the finest theology of any man in all England. The theology of the publican or tax collector, depending on what version of the Bible you're reading, English version, had the finest theology in America or England because his theology went from his head to his heart and put him on his knees. He knew God. Pastor Rob and I want you to know God. We want you to connect the head with the heart. And as the head and the heart are connected, your life continues to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Good and accurate theology, regardless of how it comes to you, matters because we want you to know God. So I'm so thankful for the good theology of O Come All Ye Faithful. In a long prayer before enduring the cross, the son prays these words to the father. The prayer is recorded in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you want to know God, you need to know the Son of God. The Son of God, light of light, very God, begotten, unmade. When you know the Son, then you will know eternal life. I love, I love the flow of each verse from this carol. After drilling deep to see good theology, verse 3 moves our minds heavenward. Here's verse 3 of the carol. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation, sing ye all citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Now for the sake of time, let's say the angels do sing. Right, see last week's message. I've noticed like half of our carols make that kind of reference. <laughs> it's like once you see something, you can't unsee it. Because of what we learned in verse 2, God is worthy of our worship and praise. Because of the good theology that we see in verse 2, we now see in verse 3, he is worthy of our worship and praise. As we sing in the refrain, come, let us adore him. We join the angels in heaven praising God. We join the angels because Christians are also citizens of heaven. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 makes the same claim. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
you Christian, you're not a stranger, you're not an alien, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In this church age, church age meaning like between the first advent of Jesus Christ and the second advent of Jesus Christ, we wait with great anticipation, but our waiting is infused with worship as citizens of heaven. As we wait, we sing glory to God, all glory in the highest. That's what we're doing. Now, I want to take a moment to dismiss a common air about our heavenly citizenship. You've heard the saying, I'm so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good. Maybe you've said it before. I don't know. That's a terrible way to live. It's a terrible way to live. We need to take the opposite approach as citizens of heaven. Because we are citizens of heaven, the church has the privilege and I would say mandate to join God in doing so much earthly good until the Lord returns. That's what we need to be doing as citizens of heaven. Think of it this way. If I were to relocate to just pick the country that I've been to in the past, Bolivia, I would not be revoking my citizenship. I would still be an American. While my home address would change, my citizenship would not. And regardless of the address that is on the mailbox, I'm called by God as a citizen of heaven to do good for God on this earth. Back to verse 3 of this carol for a moment. As a citizen of heaven, you and I join the angels in praising God, which is another great segue into the final theme I want to highlight this morning. Today's carol ends the way it begins. It it places the spotlight right on the birth of Jesus Christ. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh, appearing. Word of the Father. Grateful Ryan led us to the Gospel of John where we get that language. The Word became flesh. The Word of the Father. Now I'm going to give a nod to Matthew 2 and what we read read from the public reading of Scripture. Here's how the wise men from the east responded to Christ. When they saw a star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The wise men fell down and adored the newborn king. They adored him. I mean, there's more great theology in line three of the, our carol, but I've traversed that road already. But I want to circle back to the thread that holds the entire hymn together, which is also captured in the second line of the last verse. All glory goes to God because he is triumphant. This hymn is about the triumph of God, as I've said, through Jesus Christ. Christians should see that theme in the Bible and in many of the hymns and carols that we sing. But I wonder if you notice that the accent of the triumph in verse 1 is on the faithful ones. Look at that one more time. O come, all ye faithful, you faithful ones, right here in front of me, all you. You are joyful and triumphant. Come, all of you who follow Jesus Christ, you have every reason to be joyful. Your triumph is because of, because of Christ. We read in John 1, little children, 
you are from God and have overcome the world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you see what God's word says? If Christ is in you, then you have overcome the things that work against God in this world. I mean, and that list is long. Christ in you is greater than anything that the devil might throw at you. A.W. Tozer makes an obvious connection. He says, he lives, they said, and we live. He was triumphant, and in him we are triumphant. He is with us and leads us, and we follow. One more quote that I find helpful regarding why Christians are triumphant and why when we sing, O come all ye faithful, we sing with a triumphant tone. The shout of the triumphant faithful declares that salvation belongs to God. It is God who has brought them through their trials and tribulations and distresses. And it is his glory which now they share. The trials, the distresses, the tribulations, God leads us through it. And we are triumphant because of Christ. You know, there's a lot of common graces in the world. When you have a headache, you can take medicine or pursue another type of remedy. I remember Chloe was perhaps two or three. I'm visiting my parents. She um, took a coffee mug and it spilled on her. It was hot. And we grabbed an aloe plant and just put it all over, you know, the potential burn marks. She was fine, obviously. A lot of you have those kind of plants in your house. It's a common grace. I mentioned God's common grace because when life goes sideways, when hardship comes, upon our lives, when unexpected things happen, there's a tendency to pursue God's common grace instead of pursuing God. I'm not dismissing common grace, but I'm saying we need to seek God. God's common grace can fix a problem, but it can't fix the heart. When you seek after God, you need to remember that you are triumphant in whatever you face because Jesus Christ is triumphant. As joyful and triumphant Christians, we adore Christ. We come to adore him. May this be our posture every single Sunday, but not only on Sundays, but throughout the entire Advent season. And not only during the Advent season, but that should be the theme of our lives. We adore the Savior on every day that ends in why. We adore the Savior no matter where life takes us. We adore the Savior during the hard times and the good times. Now, before I pray, I want to challenge you to do something this week. That's my challenge for you. Carve out at least 20 minutes. It's 20. How many, how many minutes are in a week? Anybody know? A lot. And just carve out 20. Shut down the electronics. Turn off the TV. Put away the laptop. Create a distraction-free 20 minutes to open up your Bible and adore Christ through the reading of God's word. Adore Christ by praying to him. While reading God's word, ask this one question. Why are we adoring Christ? And remind yourself of what this particular season is all, all about. Perhaps do it as a family. However you do this, allow the answer to the question to serve as a reminder of who we celebrate and why we celebrate this Advent season. Just 20 minutes. Let's pray. 
You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.